Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our fourth episode of English Teacher John's Adventure Pod English. My name is John Coons, and I am your host for this podcast, as well as the English Teacher John Show and the What's Up Podcast. This podcast is the audio file of our Che Interview Series, Part 2. And you can find the video podcast on the video page at EnglishTeacherJohn.com. We also have transcripts for both Part 1 and Part 2 of the interview. So please check that out on our website. Please, please, please send us your comments about our audio and video podcasts. Your feedback really helps us to improve our content. Our email address is podcast at EnglishTeacherJohn.com. And now let's continue with our Che interview, part two. Enjoy! San Francisco, the, the the biggest city close to where you're from. Um, how's it different? I mean, I would say the the people in San Francisco seem to be. Um, I seem to see a lot a lot more younger people running around in San Francisco. In, no, in in Tokyo. In Tokyo. Yeah, oh. a lot of uh, younger people seem to be out and about. I don't. I don't really see that when I'm uh, going around San Francisco, so that's interesting. I think. I know. I know my brother. My brother used to live in San Francisco, and um, I know I've been there a few times. And there's a lot of uh, liberalism. There's a lot of movements. There's a lot of protests. There's a lot of people trying to change society. Did you, did you find any of that in Tokyo? That uh, that liberal, progressive. Let's uh, form a group. Let's change things. Well, I think now we're really getting to the. Extremes of cultures, um, Western to uh, Eastern to some degree. Mm. I think in the West, people are thinking on a much more sort of individual basis, and here in Japan, people are th- looking at sort of the harmony of the the group or whole um, more collective. Yeah, and no, I don't think that Japan necessarily is a, a rebellious or revolutionary society. They they kind mm. of go along with the flow to a, a large degree. Um, so, no, you don't see, you don't see protests very often mm. in Japan. Mm. Um, yeah, also in Matsumoto, I'd say, uh, same, same kind of answer. Mm. Not, people tend to conform, and, uh, to be honest, there's a lot of good things in Japan. I mean, health care and education, um, these basic things in society, there's not a lot of poverty, so there's not... It's too easy to say there's not so many things to rebel against, but big things that, like those three things I just mentioned, are a little more equal and comfortable and, let's say, sorted out in Japan, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. I think people are 
living a very sort of, in, in some ways, uh, yeah, I don't know, a very, I hesitate to use the word methodical lifestyle, but, you know, they're very, uh, they have a very large loyalty to their, mm. to their workplace. Mm. And their way. Yeah. Way of life. Yeah, and the students have a, a great responsibility to their studies, I think, much more so than in the West. They have to, there's a stronger uh, study ethic. There's a much mm. more er, mm. demand to get placement in a good high school and, yeah, and to pass these exams at an early age sort of mm. determines one's future, really, in Japan, where there isn't that intensity mm. of study in the younger years where yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny that once they do end up getting into their college of choice then things really relax and things are a lot easier and I think things are maybe the opposite in the West mm. within the school systems mm. yeah, yeah I, I've found some of those same things let's turn it to food uh, what's your favorite Japanese food um Couple up your favorites. The first thing that comes to mind is natto. Natto! Oh my god! He likes natto! Which is a fermented soybean and the first food that I actually tried in Japan. And I think of it more... I also eat natto, but most foreigners <laughs> don't. I think of it more of a sport than a food almost. Because, you know... <laughs> Eating natto is a sport. Small, like, styrofoam square capsules that are filled with these beans, and you stir and them sticky with your and you, it's stringy. It's and like going all over the place. You can wrap it around his head and around here. And you can cover the whole room in about five minutes. So it's, yeah, it can be kind of like a, a game or a food. The yeah. sport of eating natto. The natto, and uh, what, what other things do you like? Um, something called inari zushi. Yeah, yeah which is... Uh, inari or yeah, oinari. Oinari zushi, the pronunciation. Not certain. Um... Rice um, inside a uh, a fried tofu wrap. Yeah, they come in these triangular cubes, and you'll find them in family marts or Seven Eleven convenience stores throughout Japan. Yeah, and I, I also like that. a nice a nice snack. Um, Any least favorite foods? Something you just can't eat in Japan? They they eat some strange stuff here. You know, I haven't found anything that really stood out. Um, that I I don't like, well, I'm vegetarian, mm. so this mm. limits my selection in Japan yeah. to a great extent. I mean, I don't think I would be eating um, live fish. This is something, even if, even if I was a vegetarian, I don't think I'd be Raw thinking... Fish. No, live fish. Oh, live, live fish. fish. They're still kicking around in the bowls, and you stick them, and they kind of swim down your throat. Uh, and live... Um squid or raw squid yeah some of these things uh. and it amazes me even to this still to this day with all the political sort of pressure that's put on Japan in this area that there are still restaurants that are serving whale which is whale. really quite disturbing I think yeah yeah definitely um, all in all I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a brother in vegetarianism with Jay also uh, I find it uh, with uh, all the different tofu and mushrooms, seaweed, good rice, I find it's very uh, fresh vegetables. It's a it's a good place to be a vegetarian. I find. Mm, I think if you're cooking for yourself, it can be a quite a good place to be a vegetarian. Mm. Um, if you're going out, you're going to find most of the things are cooked with 
a meat broth, the ramen. That's true. Um, some kind of meat or fish stock will be included. In the, so it, I don't think it's so easy to eat out. But tempura um, is a wonderful way to go. Mm. Lightly uh, fried, lightly battered and fried uh, vegetables or whatever. Yeah. Tempura. So this is good. And it's around Tokyo is quite cosmopolitan. So there's Indian places mm. and Thai places. So And great experiences to go out to the izakayas where you get um, tofu dishes and mm. and such and people gather on small tables on tatami mat floors and it's a good place mm. to socialize good place to make a party yeah in japan we generally sit on the floor on this uh, comfortable tatami natural fiber mats very comfortable i really like it um, and i would say not to forget to uh, check out uh, nami hodai when you go to Tokyo, I mean, this is a place where it's an all-you-can-drink kind of mm. place um, for That's a nice. few hours. And, yeah, this is a, another good place to have a party What's with friends. Name? What's the name again? Uh, it's, they're just generally called Nami Hodais. Nami Hodais. Nami Hodais. Sounds like there's plenty of things to do in Tokyo. Uh, let's move it to uh, looking at your past, Che. I know uh, I've had many conversations with Che about some interesting thing he's, things he's done, places he's been in the past. Um, what have you done? Where have you been? Uh, what have you learned? Uh, I, you have, a, I think, an interesting background. Okay. Um, well, my first trip after leaving the States was first going to Australia. So... My first uh, big adventure was an underwater adventure. It was scuba diving. I went and did a five-day paddy course on the Great Barrier Reef. And this was incredible because, mm. my gosh, I never imagined that just underneath surface lies just a completely other world. So this was an amazing experience to be able to do a, a night dive and be swimming with sharks on the Great Barrier Reef was Quite, a, quite an amazing thing. And there's something called phosphorescent, where people were actually diving off the boat at night, and the water would just simply glitter, shine. Mm, kind of sparkling with different colors. Exactly. It's a small mm. type of plankton of such would just come to life or be sort of annoyed, I guess, so it was trying to scare off predators by this bright mm. light. So that was an amazing, amazing moment. Um, my travels through Australia took for took about ten months, and mm -hmm. I was finding small jobs, uh, fruit picking through the country, mm -hmm. and doing a little bit of street performing. Um, my one of my hobbies street, street performing. Yeah, what what, uh, <laughs> what what do you do? What kind of performance? Well, my one of my hobbies growing up um, was doing magic and juggling. So juggling. I, yeah. So I wait a minute. All right, in, in, ja in, in Japanese, we would say, dozo, dozo. Oh, no, no. I'm put on stage here. Okay, there you go. Juggling three balls just for John and his podcast. There you go. Five, four, three, two, one. Juggling. I think he really is a juggler. All right, so speak performing and... Uh, you got your uh, scuba diving license, and I just want to say I agree. When I, I'm also a licensed diver. The first time I went underwater uh, was in New Jersey, actually, and there were some fish, and that was interesting, and just an amazing thing opened up to me. And when I, then I went tropical diving, and the coral reef and the color, and you just look through the mask like, 
is this a movie? Is this fantasy? It's a whole new world. So an incredible experience that uh, diving. I, I continue to do it to till the till the present. I just love it. Um, uh, street performing, picking fruit, and this this was your first big adventure going this through was, Australia. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I broke up the trip after six months. I got a, a six months renewable visa for Australia. And I went over to New Zealand. Um, for a few months, a month on the north, a month on the south island, and this country is like a condensed sort of, I don't know, condensed version of just natural beauty. I mean, mm. you don't have to go far in New Zealand to find another amazing type of uh, scenery. So, yeah, I'd highly recommend if people mm. want to get out into the wilderness and outdoors to go over to New Zealand. Mm. And uh, where uh, your other travels? Uh, what other kinds of places did you go to that you can tell our uh, viewers about? I continued through Asia, beginning mm. with uh, Timor, coming out of northern territories in Australia, and went through Nusa Tenggara, through um, Flores, and Lombok, and Bali, and Java, and into mm. Sumatra. A highlight of Sumatra was seeing the orangutans at the rehabilitation mm. in uh, rehabilitation center in Bukit Luang, and to they what a diverse country! You can find everything in Indonesia. I love Indonesia. I was I, I've only been there twice. I was there last year, mm -hmm. but the, just the diversity of culture, the orangutans, and everything, mm -hmm. and the yeah. foods. Yeah, it's a delight really to travel through Indonesia, and the language is actually supposed to be the easiest mm. on the planet. Uh, Bahasa Indonesian. Yeah, great. Um, okay, through Indonesia. So uh, I have to say that uh, I know Che is a very, very well-traveled person. Let's hear some of the other places you've oh, been to. Thrill us with your adventures. <laughs> I don't know if I want to bore you with the list of places that I've been. but I Well, I'll give us a general idea of some I, places. I continued up into Malaysia and Thailand and into Hong Kong and Taiwan, and I mentioned... Korea, and I spent a while uh, diving once again in the Philippines, um, mm. and I went through China and into Tibet, which I know you know very well. Um, mm -hmm. I had the experience of trekking around the holiest mountain, um, maybe, maybe in the world, who knows well, how they say. Which is? Well, you know it better than I do. Mount Kailash. There you go. Gang <laughs> Rinpoche in Tibetan language, uh, Mount Kailash in, uh, in English. Yeah. Mm, this was an experience to stay at the small gampas or monasteries mm. around this, this holy site. Um, I haven't done it. I haven't done I haven't been there. I've been mm. to Tibet four times, but I have not uh, been to the whole mountain. It's a trip to get out there. It took about... Mm. Uh, five days in the back of a dusty, very dusty truck. We were wearing surgical masks, about ten of us, as we wow. went out to uh, to this holy mountain. And uh, on the top of our truck was uh, dried yak and the driver. Um, and our <laughs> guide were eating that at each stop. Dried uh, yak? Yeah, along with the uh, sampa. And, um, yeah, and don't forget to try the butter tea if you ever get in that region. Try it or maybe don't try it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so into Tibet and spent some time uh, in Nepal um, trekking around the Annapurna Circuit and base camp. And Kathmandu was quite a, 
quite a uh, reward for culinary delights after the, the yak and the butter tea. To have the apple pie and the pizzas in Kathmandu is quite, quite a nice uh, thing to have in a, a soft, warm bed was a welcome. I, uh, I, I feel exactly the same way. I've, I've done some hard travel in Tibet and uh, Kathmandu, the capital of Nepal, in the Himalayas, it's a, it's a wonderful place. Uh, great, good restaurants and cheap, yeah. cheap and good food and lots of people from around the world. Yeah, it's it really a is comfortable a, place. It really Very, is a mecca for travelers. It's a yeah. place where people kind of congregate mm -hmm. from different diff different places and kind of is a place to just relax and sort of retell all those adventure stories. Yeah, I'd say Kathmandu and Bangkok are two places you just meet travelers uh, that you've seen in other places and they're, yeah. they're the huge traveler's meccas. Exactly. Kathmandu being a bit smaller than Bangkok and kind of more in the mountains and mm. maybe a little more cultural and things. Mm. And uh, yeah, my travels uh, took mm. me through uh, Mexico and Central and South America as well, where I've spent about two years and that's where I... Two so years traveling through Central America and South America? Mexico and Central and South America took me about two years to get through and we were talking about these sort of traveler mecca places where people sort of from all around the world sort of mm. congregate traveler types and uh, Cusco would be the place mm. um, very close which to... Is in, which which is in Peru, um, which is very close to and kind of a heading off point when you go to adventure Machu Picchu, the old right. ruins out in Peru. So, um, do you have? I don't like to ask favorites because I really don't like it when people ask me what's your favorite place. They're all I, I like all the places I've been. Uh, do you have any special places that you might want to go back, or something that had some historical or some cultural interest, a special note, something special you learned, or someone special you met? Um, <laughs> I would say um, my time around. My time around Peru was quite magical for the people that mm -hmm. I met um, and some of the ceremonies that I went to. Um, I went up into the mountains mm. um, with a, a gentleman named Martin Gray, mm. which has been traveling for many years to sacred sites around the world. And um, we spent a night out watching people dance mm. in... Um, in the middle of nowhere, just in the middle of in the mountains, with with masks and costumes, and it was something, just really like something from uh, a time gone by, something mm. you wouldn't expect to still sort of exist to this day, and yeah, people were very, very uh, sort of in a kind of a trance-like state out there. Wow. So you, it was really something that I don't think a lot of sort of Western eye to see. I mean, I was the only traveler that was actually out there witnessing it. Yeah, that's kind of that's nice to get away from the masses and get mm -hmm. to the places where this was not a this was not a performance no. for tourists. No. It was just part of their culture. Exactly. Getting so. harder to find those things, authentic pieces mm -hmm. of culture, not just done for tourists. Yeah, I think so. I think it's there's there's sort of a, a human zoo sort of. Um, a human zoo type of thing happening in a lot of sort of touristic areas mm. in Thailand. You have the long neck people where you actually right. have to pay in order to get in there and sort of uh, gawk at these people that have rings around their neck. Right. Right. In uh, Masai Mara in Kenya, um, looking at 
the people there, there's villages to witness their sort of traditional mm. looks and ways, and you have to pay money to get inside mm. to see them. So, I mean, yeah, for better or worse, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, uh, traveling through Central and South America, and what, what's the predominant language in those areas? Spanish. Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so, how um, is that where you learn Spanish? Uh, I took a little bit, yeah. uh, a few classes in school, but yeah, it, speaking it on the street is, yeah, is always going to be um, a very helpful and useful way of learning a language. I mean, one thing is to take it in the classroom and applying it in real mm-hmm. life. Yeah. So. Two, two years in the region. Mm-hmm. Mostly Spanish-speaking, except for Brazil, I guess. Exactly, which is Portuguese. And, and Brazilians, many of them probably can speak Spanish. Uh, you know, it's interesting that when I speak to them, they can understand me. But when they speak to me, I can't understand can't them. Understand so the Portuguese and the Spanish. Yeah, so this is, this is a bit difficult. Uh, yeah, My, I actually went to Brazil uh, just before uh, the Samba Carnival there. So that was... That was incredible to be able big to... Big country, Brazil. Brazil. The biggest in, in Latin America. It is. And um, at the time when I went there, it was one of the most expensive traveling really? through, through the region, through, through South America. Um, I didn't stay there long. Uh, Rio de Janeiro and San Paulo and El Salvador is where I spent carnival. And I'd recommend if you want to see mm. a traditional carnival, that would be the place to go in contrast, Rio, um, which is inside a football stadium, and it's much more of sort of a spectator. Ah, not event. out in the street. Okay. No, not at all. No, it's inside a stadium. It's been sort of commercialized, you would say. Wow. Um, did you make it all the way down to the tip, the Chile, and the, yeah. how far down did you get? Yeah, I went to the bottom, as you do. I made my trip all the way overland from from California t- through the all the way to the tip of uh, South America, um, Ushuaia, the tip of South America, and Well, that's the end of part two. We will have a third part of this interview, and I think that'll be the final installment of the Che interview series.